Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I am so happy to announce that my first book is now in print. The title is Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your Fatigue with Natural Treatments. I've discovered 14 root causes of fatigue. I like to call them the fatigue factors. And in this book, I explain eight of the 14. I've had some amazing feedback on how easy it is to read and understand. It's not full of technical doctory language like most books written by doctors are. And of course, the book also includes my own personal fatigue story, along with four other stories from real fatigue cases from my private practice. It's available in paperback and Kittle forms. So if you'd like a copy, you can find it on Amazon or on my website, www.drcarry.com. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm so excited about this week's show because my special guest is someone that I greatly admire. Her name is Sherry Strong. Let me tell you a little bit about Sherry. Sherry is a food philosopher, chef, and nutritionist. She is the author of Return to Food, the life-changing anti-diet. I love that title. She was the curator and co-founder of the World Wellness Project, Victorian Chair of Nutrition Australia, Melbourne president of Slow Food, and a TEDx Tokyo 2009 speaker. Sherry's created the Return to Food Academy, where she teaches people online to become Return to Food coaches. Sherry, thank you so much for being my special. Te- <laughs> Sherry, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. My absolute pleasure, Dr. Kerry. Thank you for having me. Sherry, the premise of your book, Return to Food, the Life-Changing Anti-Diet, can you tell us about that? Why, why are we so sick? You know, mm. people aren't eating real food anymore. Talk, mm-hmm. talk to us about your book. Yes. Well, I think one of the things I did, didn't, um, wasn't mentioned in my introduction, which is not always widely known, is that I was actually twice my size. So not 10 foot four. I was actually a size 16. And when you're five foot two at a um, size 16, you're basically round. And um, I had tried every diet possible and, you know, did the yo-yo thing and finally just gave up and realized. Um, I At that time, I thought there was something wrong with me and thought I couldn't diet successfully. So I just threw my hands up in the air and gave up. But the truth is, is that 95% of diets don't work. And the reason they don't work is because they're focusing on the very end um, 
part of the problem. So the what we eat and how we move our bodies are really just extensions of what's going on internally within us. Not just the food that we're eating, but how we think and how we feel, how we perceive the world and how we perceive ourselves. And so the life-changing anti-diet is not only and obviously largely about returning to food, but what I found had an equal impact on my journey and since working with clients where they had dramatic effects is when we started to work on the inside game. And so you change your life from the inside and you don't have to diet because it just takes care of itself. So once you get educated and you start to nourish your body mentally, emotionally, spiritually and physically, um, the food just takes care of itself. And there is no dieting. There's no restriction. It truly is about loving life and embracing, um, you know, food as uh, the vehicle, not just to nourish your body, but to experience pleasure, but not just the kind of fading pleasure, you know, of addictive substances, but true pleasure that, you know, while you're eating the food, it's delicious. After you've eaten eaten the meal, you feel fantastic um, and you sleep well through the night. And when you wake up the next morning, you feel great because you've actually made those choices that are truly nourishing, energizing and protective to your body. So that's kind of the gist of it. And talk a little bit about how we're, how most of us are not trusting our instincts anymore when it comes to food. This is a big thing. You know, um, we are actually animals hard to believe (laughs) some of us are like offended by the fact of being called an animal and in nature an animal doesn't actually have to think about what it eats it just knows and it makes certain choices and um, if it eats kind of the wrong thing it just brings it up but they pretty much know what it is they're meant to be eating eating and they're drawn to it and it really goes down to very specific things like if you take an animal in the wild um, or whether they're um, uh, in a conventional farming environment, when you give them a higher quality food choice, they will actually choose that instinctively. Uh, and there's many examples of that in, in several uh, books that are out there, including Seeds of Deception. And I actually include one um, in the banana story in Return to Food, which is quite dramatic. So we, what's happening now is that we are now abdicating responsibility for what's going on in our food because we haven't had to source our food out in nature so we haven't had to make those decisions and so when we're sourcing our food particularly in a supermarket we're really basing our decisions um, because we've lost our intuitive ability and instinctual ability to make those choices it's still there you know but it's hidden and it hasn't been trained and and so we we don't know how to actually use it we rely on marketing from packaging and we rely on very um sophisticated nutritional marketing and that can carry over into certain dietitians and nutritionists and even doctors um, who believe the marketing hype that's provided by the company um, and suggest that you know people should be eating these foods because of the health benefits in them when just because of food has a nutrient in it doesn't mean that that nutrient is ideal for the human body or even that that human should actually be eating it. And so we've kind of lost that edge and we've, we've, we're trusting information rather than our own bodies. And it's a skill to actually go back to start to listen to the body. Okay, so Sherry, you mentioned real briefly there the banana story. So that just piqued my interest. Can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about that? Okay, so... Um, When I first started my cooking school in Melbourne, Australia in 1993, I went organic. And that was not at that time because I knew a great deal about it. But as a chef, I'd been a chef working in some of the best restaurants in Australia. 
And I knew that organic tasted better. And now, as you know, as I've studied it, you know, well, 21 years later, I know that, you know, there are increased flavor compounds, aroma compounds and flavor compounds in organic food. So naturally, it's going to taste better at the very least. Um, but at that time, I thought I was allergic to bananas. And I got in a, an order of bananas but uh, from an organic grocer. They delivered to, to my school. And... Um, I decided to have the bananas, even though at the time the allergic symptoms that I was manifesting were like this nausea and cramping in my tummy when I would have bananas. But I had this really strong physiological kinesthetic compulsion to eat the banana. And um, I ate it and it was absolutely delicious. And I thought, I don't care about the pain. I'm going to have another one. And it was so good. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm over my banana allergy. This is wonderful. And a few weeks later, I was at... Um, a uh, conference and there were bananas there and I had a banana and the cramping and the horrible feeling came back and I thought ah the other one was organic and this one's conventional and I you know did some you know used my body as a guinea pig and found out that I couldn't have the conventional ones but I could have um, biodynamic ones and they were more delicious as well so a few years later, I came across this interesting article that was um, about a, kind of an informal study that was done at the Copenhagen Zoo, where the zookeeper typically would feed conventional bananas to the chimpanzees, and they would peel them and eat them. And one day, he got in an organic order of these bananas, and the chimpanzees ate them whole. And he thought, this is really interesting that they ate the entire banana, peel and all. So he decided to do this study, and he gave them a choice between conventional and organic. And they went straight to the organic. They ate them whole. And only once the organic bananas were finished, they went to the conventional ones, peeled them, and ate them. And I thought, isn't that interesting? So kind of the final piece to the story is I was up at a farmer's market, Lordly Street Farmer's Market in Brisbane in Queensland. And there was a man named Nev who was a biodynamic banana grower. And I started to ask him if some of his, you know, customers actually had these experiences, the, these allergic symptoms that I called, uh, you know, was referring to. And he said, yes. He said, um, in fact, the young man working for me um, used to actually bring up blood when he had conventional bananas. He would actually, you know, it would, blood would come out of his, his mouth when he had them um, from his stomach. And um, now he eats five and six a day and he has no problems. And literally as he's telling me this, he points at the guy behind him and he's got a banana in his mouth and he's going, yep, that's right. He nods, you know, full of banana. And um, he said, would you like to know why this might be the case? And of course, I was pretty hungry to know the answer and he said I used to be a conventional banana grower and he started to tell me the standard practices that were done in the banana industry which blew me away and the one thing that I'll never forget which is standard practice is they actually take a syringe and, and use the same poison used to kill white ants and inject it physically into the stalk of the banana wow which you know you just there's so many practices like this within our food system and in, in growing the food and then with the processing, which, you know, obviously I, I've been studying for many, many years, that most people, when they hear it for the first time, think, well, how can that be legal? How could the government actually allow that to happen? And they think, you know, just because a chemical is sprayed onto a plant that they're safe because you can wash it off, you know, it, if even if they're not injecting it into the plant but the truth is is when it rains you know or the plant is watered those 
poisons that are used to disable the nervous system of an insect, they actually trickle down the plant and they go into the soil. And we know in a healthy handful of soil, there's literally 8 billion microorganisms that work synergistically to provide nutrients to the plant. And if that chemical is designed to disable the nervous system of an insect, and which is not too dissimilar to a human's, what do you think it's doing to the very delicate, small, minute, invisible to the eye uh, microcosm and structure within that handful of soil? Well, it's going to kill a lot of those things. And the nutrients are actually going to be taken up um, with the chemicals into the plant so that when you eat it, you can't just wash it off. You see, I was never allergic to the banana. I was allergic to the chemicals and the treatment the banana was actually put through to get it to the supermarket um, at a cheap price, um, convenient, so it stores well, um, you know, and lasts longer and there's no insects on it. That's the banana story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and what you just um, explained to our listeners is so true because I've seen that in my practice as well with patients. They'll be uh, sensitive or allergic to a certain food and I'll ask them, you know, try it in its organic form and nine times out of 10, yes, they're fine. Yes. Yeah. And, and what can happen with the body is the body can actually have a conditioned response to be so sensitive that sometimes when they have the organic, they've trained their body to go, Oh, strawberry, I have to have this, even though it doesn't have that. So, you know, the, the body's quite interesting and, and complex in how you do it. So I have had clients who over time, have actually, you know, gone to the organic versions, but they've just taken little bits at a time to, to grow up to uh, a, an amount where the body knows it's going to be safe. Now, Sherry, tell our listeners about the lethal recipe. What is that? So the lethal recipe is, refers to um, how our foods are actually processed. So beyond actually growing with chemical pesticides and synthetic fertilizers, uh, we have a growing amount of foods within our supermarket that are uh, processed in the same way we actually take opium sap and turn it into heroin. And I first learned about this when I was a chef and I was studying Harold McGee's on food and cooking. Um, he was a food scientist and this is going back in the early 90s, very early 90s. And I was fascinated with how things were actually processed. And I remember at some point making the link when I saw how sugar was refined and I thought, gee, that's really similar to how opium is, you know, opium is actually made. Not, not that I made opium, but I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in my backyard, you know, didn't quite have access to all that opium sap and poppies. But opium sap, interestingly enough, in its natural state has opiates in it naturally, but it's not highly addictive or toxic to the body. It is only through the processing that it becomes so. So in fact, um, I read once that in funerals in Iran, they actually dry the, uh, the sap and they powder it and they just sprinkle into teas um, to help with the grieving process because it just kind of, you know, gives you this, this uh, sense of, of love and, and well-being as, you know, opiates do, um, which is also contained in mother's milk and, and wheat, um, which is why we love those things so much. So, um, but if you start to process that sap and you start to boil it down, so in, as soon as we cook something, we diminish the nutrient levels of it and we can actually eat more. So think of a cup of raw broccoli versus a cup of cooked broccoli. Which can you eat more of faster? Well, it's the cooked. And it's nature's way of saying there's less nutrients in this. So the body says, eat more of it. It's easier to digest, you know. So we, there's fascinating reasons why we eat what we eat. 
Um, so they cook the sap down and then they start to, um, uh, obviously the heat's going to denature it, but they start to skim off the macro micronutrients. Um, if you've ever seen someone making a stock, a soup, um, you'll see them skimming off the top, which we refer to as impurities and the scum. But in truth, it's actually uh, macro micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals. And that's what they're doing to the opium. So the less of those that are actually in the food as they're going for the more pure substance, just like, you know, salt is reduced from 84 minerals to sodium chloride, which is one. And, you know, sugar cane, which has, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals and, you know, naturally occurring plant um, nutrients in it is actually um, skimmed off and, and processed to the point where it's reduced, where it's one, you know, ingredient, which is sucrose. Um, so the same thing they're doing with this uh, opium sap, um, they're boiling it. And so they get it to the point where um, it, it can actually be dried, you know, baked into a crystal form. And that's the opium, which we know is toxic and addictive to the body. Now, what they do to actually make heroin is they go through several more processes um, from that stage to um, basically remove any kind of macro and micronutrients. So it's just one pure ingredient, which is the heroin. Uh, heroin. Um, so what happens is that's even more addictive and more toxic to the body. And so what we're having is there's five of these main ingredients that are almost in everything in our supermarket. In fact, if you took these five lethal recipe ingredients out of the supermarket, you barely have a handful of left, left of things to actually eat. And that's refined sugar, refined oils, refined grains, refined salts, and chemicals. So all of those things start off natural, but through many processes that you can never, ever replicate in nature – they become um, unnatural, and over um, a period of time, as any country starts to adapt this lethal recipe, we see the incidence of lifestyle diseases increasing exponentially, which has a lethal effect, you know, on on um, our well-being. Sherry, I love the way that you just explained that. That makes me look at our food supply in a totally different way. You know, as as I was listening to you, I was thinking, well, that makes complete sense. And from a from a herbal perspective, mm -hmm. most of our medications actually come from herbs, but they take mm -hmm. out one ingredient and they highly refine it. Mm -hmm. And that's when that one ingredient becomes a medication and, and has the potential for creating a lot of harm in the body. Mm -hmm. So I, I love that explanation about the the five uh, lethal ingredients. So you said refined sugar, refined oils, refined grains, refined salt, and the last was refined chemicals, right? That's correct. And there are more. So you can do it with anything, right? So you can do it with dairy, you can do it with soy. And we see as people do that, you know, where we once would have, you know, um, cow's milk that was unpasteurized, you know, and whole, the human body adapted to be able to handle it. Well, refined you know, dairy nowadays is just as, you know, lethal as any one of those other ingredients that I mentioned. So is this must be part of why, you know, food alone uh, will not make people well. And, and I get that question a lot when patients come in. Well, don't I just need to make diet changes? It's like, mm. no, there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. Can you yes. talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Well, food, you know, what it's that whole thing. What is food and what isn't food? You know, you can go to a supermarket and get things that look absolutely beautiful in the produce section. Um, and they have, you know, been strategically grown and, and, and in a certain way where their nutrient profiles very little. And so it, 
you know, the great thing about even just switching even to conventional produce is if you're starting to eat a salad instead of something, you know, from uh, a drive through at least you're not eating all the tons of chemicals that are actually in the drive through food. So a typical, you know, three course meal that includes a a little chicken nugget dish, you know, fries and a burger with an apple pie and a soft drink can have over 600 words in the combined ingredient list. And that doesn't include the fact that that burger that's been um, cooked on a stainless steel grill tastes like it's been on a char grill because of a flavor um, additive that can have up to 400 different compounds in it. And the lettuce that's been grown for that burger can have, you know, um, be grown with chemical pesticides, synthetic fertilizers, and then sprayed with a cocktail of 11 different chemicals to preserve it. So even going to conventional is an upgrade from the kind of the processed world. So you can kind of take this in phases. But then once you, you gain awareness, people start to feel the when those chemicals start to move through their body and they start to have some of the cellulose, you know, and, and vitamins and minerals that are in the conventional produce, washing it through their body, they get a sense of well-being. And then when they upgrade again to organic and they're starting to eat live, fresh living foods and they're organic again, they get another kind of, they reach another threshold of well-being. So there's kind of steps and processes. Some people just skip right to the end. Um, but there's often what I refer to, and I've seen over, you know, 20 years of doing this, there's kind of a hero's journey and there's 11 different stages that people actually go through, um, when they're, um, going on this, this process. Um, so it requires that you take this, this holistic process. And it's, I often, um, use a concept, uh, that I came up with called hyper nourishment. And I look at, um, hyper in the context of, uh, more than three, um, quadrant so mental emotional spiritual and physical physical and we start to look at people and where are you being uh t- where do you actually have toxic influences in your physical quadrant where are you actually getting some nourishment let's you know let's celebrate that and and see if we can bump that up to actually you know nourishing you where are you actually malnourished you know where are you actually not getting certain things and how can we actually bump that up and hyper nourish you Um, And then we move through the mental side of it, you know, same thing like, you know, because, you know, if you're watching really toxic entertainment and television, you know, where people being killed and murdered, you know, and everything's drama and negativity, that has an impact on on most people and, and the food choices they're going to make. Because if you're watching entertainment that resonates at a very, very low level, um, we often, what happens is we often will choose foods that resonates on a similar level. I'm not saying that you can't have your favorite drama, but if everything is negative and you're reading things that are actually, you know, sending your body um, into, you know, <laughs> stress, um, that's going to, it's going to have an impact. So the process of food alone is, is quite, you know, it's, it's no longer uh, as simple as finding things in nature. But here's the good news is that Simple and easy, as you would know from your practice, are two very different things. Uh, Simple to actually go to eat your living foods um, may not be the easy option, but it's certainly going to be the one that yields the more rewards. The great news is, is that we tend to think of, you know, oh, man, that's so hard work. I can't just rip open a packet and throw it in a microwave. I actually have to buy vegetables and wash them and chop them and make something with it. Well, Nowadays, it's so easy to actually buy good quality ingredients compared to growing it yourself. You kind of have a a shift in how you're thinking, and it doesn't actually have to be that hard. 
So Sherry, I get uh, this question a lot from patients. Um, you know, I, I ask them to, to eat more organic food in their diet. And a lot of the times they'll say, well, it's too expensive. I can't <laughs> afford it. So mm. can you explain to our listeners why organic is far cheaper than conventional foods? Right. Well, um, nutrient for nutrient um, and how organic food is grown, it's 40 to 60 percent higher. Rodale Institute, Scripps Institute, Newcastle University did a four-year study. All of them did around four-year reviews on the literature uh, of everything that is actually out there. And they determined that um, organic produce is 40 to 60% higher in nutrients. So the interesting thing is, is that if you buy organic produce, you actually, it requires less to actually nourish you. So conventional produce is actually more expensive because it tends to be bigger. It's more full of water, which that water's, you know, great in, in hydrating you, but you're not getting the same kind of level of nutrients. You're actually paying more, particularly if you buy organic in season, uh, you buy it at farmer's markets, you know, you do a bit of shopping around, it's becoming much more readily available. And I know in certain parts, you know, the world, it is tough. Um, but there's also a whole growing movement of people actually growing food within their homes, you know, or, you know, um, in their little patches of land and then taking that food, you know, and preserving it where the nutrients can actually still be preserved. So organic is not only an investment in nutrients for your own body, um, it's an investment in nutrients for the planet. So, uh, it basically means that when we're supporting organic farmers, we're not uh, supporting, you know, chemicals and pesticides that actually get leached into groundwater and then end up in our waterways, which we ultimately end up eating again and which can actually foster sickness. So it's it's not a short-term solution, but I've shown, I took, uh, when I worked with Jamie Oliver's 15 Foundation in Melbourne, I would take chefs to the supermarket and show them how they could eat organically on $60 a week. You know, it's and it's it's about making different food choices. And the other thing too is that people think nothing of spending, you know, hundred dollars on their mobile phone bill. You know, and um, different forms of entertainment. People will think nothing of spending twenty dollars on a bottle of wine, but really that will last maybe if they're lucky one evening, um, and then kind of shrink back and think, well, I'm not paying twenty dollars for that first cold pressed extra virgin organic olive oil. So it is a reshift in our actual thinking and our priorities. But um, I promise you, when people actually get on this track, and uh, one of the uh, women who works for Influence Publishing, who's our social media girl, Lida, she's uh, quite a quick whip, she's actually showing now that in her demographic, her age group, the, um, the 20 uh, people in their 20s are actually now shifting from buying kind of the designer labels to actually spending that money on organic food and foods that are actually going to nourish them. So I thought that was that was a really exciting and interesting shift. When people get their priorities right, money is not is not the the barrier. It just becomes a very convenient barrier when we're experiencing resistance, which is a very natural part of the hero's journey, the holistic hero's journey which I I talk about. So Sherry when it comes to eating more naturally, more organic, more biodynamic foods, it's becoming increasingly more difficult because we have to battle. I think the biggest thing right now is the genetically modified foods. So mm -hmm. how can you give us some some tips on how we can eat more naturally in such an unnatural world? 
The the big thing, particularly with GMOs, and it is a concern. Um, it was one of the concerns that I had in moving from Australia to um, back to Canada after 22 years there. It's because I I know that 70% of our processed food in this country has genetically modified foods in it. Um, which, by the way, genetic modification of of foods where they actually bring in the DNA of other species or they actually intertwine um, pesticides into the actual seed of the plant could never actually be done in nature. So when people say that it's been going on for thousands of years, hybridizing is very different to genetic modification. And genetic modification um, is is uh, basically brought to you by biotech companies that are responsible for some of the most lethal and dangerous chemicals um, on the planet. Uh, DDT, Agent Orange, um, there's uh, many of them. So. Um, these are not natural foods, and in order to actually avoid that, you want to find um, labeling that will say that it is non-GMO. You definitely want to work for that. Look for that. Um, buying organic is is certified organic is a great way to um, know that you're not getting genetically modified foods in your food, um, and also supporting your local farmers and that are growing organically. You know, it's a wonderful way. Uh, I do my primary shopping at a farmer's market. And then I buy the rest uh, of what I can't get at the farmer's market um, at organic food stores. So it's, it requires um, kind of a new way of looking things uh, and educating yourself. But I promise you, with the right kind of flick of the switch of the mental attitude, it becomes a new interesting kind of hobby and a way of sourcing things. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that I, I wrote the book is, is one way of people learning about it. But I now also train other people who actually go into homes and show people how to actually do, you know, go to the farmer's market shopping, go to the supermarket, do a, you know, kitchen audit of their phone and uh, of their home and start to transition, you know, a lot of these conventional genetically modified and processed foods into organic foods and to do it in a way that's not shocking or alarming, you know, or creates more stress, but it's kind of a natural, beautiful, loving transition. Yeah, just doing that transition bit by bit. As I tell my patients, you might need to climb Mount Everest, but if you just take one, just take it one step at a time, you will eventually get there. Yes, yes. So Sherry, let's talk a little bit about energy because a lot of our listeners out there could use more energy. What Mm -hmm. are three things that you think we could all do today to increase our energy levels? So the first thing we need to start looking at where, what are our biggest energy suckers? Now that can come in the form of food. And if you are eating processed food, you're not being nourished. So that is not only going to not nourish you, uh, those lethal recipe ingredients actually strip nutrients from your body. So you're ending up in a, at a deficit when you're eating those foods. So start to look at where you have the lethal recipe in your kitchen and start to remove them. I call this the replace principle. So when the salts, the sodium chloride, your dinner salt, um, that's highly processed runs out or, you know, the next time you're at the supermarket, find the natural sea salt, you know, and the, um, the canola oil or the, you know, the olive oil that's in a clear glass bottle and it's clearly very refined. Um, you go and find a, a cold pressed extra virgin olive oil and buy small, smaller quantities. So you, you're not shocking your, your food bill. You're not going to eat everything all at once and it's better to buy smaller and fresher than these bulk um, volume of things so that's that's one thing so we move from removing the lethal recipe we start to um, make natural choices so 
choices that we can find in nature. So one of the philosophies I teach in the book is the nature's principle, is nature tells us what to eat in the quantities to eat it in by how easily it's obtained in nature. So that which is most abundant we're meant to have the most of and harder to obtain in nature, we're meant to have less of it. In fact, nature gives us stronger physiological desires, so we work harder to get it. And in doing so, they tend to be the higher energy foods, so we actually end up working off the energy from these foods, which is why in nature there's no, no natural obesity. Um, and then the third area is if you cannot find it in nature, not only is it harmful to your body, it's also harmful to the environment, so, and we don't actually need that to sustain our life. The problem is, is most of us in North America are actually eating a large part of our diet from that third area, things that could never possibly be made in nature, and it's sucking energy from us. So we need to get rid of that. Start to replace it with natural versions. Um, definitely start to hydrate. You need to um, get water into your system, and preferably water that's from a spring, or at the very least that has you have a decent uh, a filter. I actually get in spring water that comes from a local spring, um, here um, where I live in Vancouver, I actually live on Bowen Island and I get it from a natural natural spring because um, uh, hydration is primary. It's a, you know, it's a catalyst for every single biological function in the body. And once you actually start to remove the, you know, remove the toxicity, start to introduce real food and hydrate your body, you're going to have a lot more energy and you're also going to have a lot more clarity of thought. You're going to have more even moods. So all that energy that's required to actually climb Everest, <laughs> you're going to have that. And it will be a wonderful thing, um, uh, t a wonderful way to get started. Sherry, we're kind of running low on time. You've get, given us some amazing information today. How can our audience find out more about you, about your book, about everything you do? Okay, well, the book um, you've given me a lovely um, little introduction for is called Return to Food, The Life-Changing Anti-Diet. You can find out about it um, on my website, which is returntofood.com. And um, uh, there's also um, links to um, the book. And there's lots of recipes and videos on that site and information in the blog there. Um, and then there is um, also um, that book will be out in bookstores in December 2014, um, which is very exciting. As you know, Car Dr. Carey, um, publishing a book is a, it's like giving birth to a baby. Um, so that, those are probably the best ways to actually get in touch. And if you send uh, me an email directly uh, to sherry at sherrystrong.com, or you can do sherry at returntofood.com. I will send you a free ebook, um, which has some beautiful um, living food recipes that will kickstart your energy. They'll add some, you know, natural hydration through your food to your diet. And if you choose the food organically and start with those recipes, it will absolutely um, leave you feeling wonderful. Sherry, I'll make sure for our listeners that we have all of those um, links in our podcast notes. Wonderful. Sherry, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This was such an awesome interview. <laughs> my pleasure. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Sherry Strong. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. 
Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.